You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 122. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a different format today. I just want to, I guess, take an episode because, uh, you know, well, for, for a variety of reasons to just talk about, you know, what times we're living in, both the last week or so in the United States and also, you know, the last three months in, in around the world. Uh, just, uh, you know, just crazy times. And, you know, it's been tough to kind of get a guest during this time. Uh, I will be ramping up guests soon, but uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we just talk about what's going on? Um, so, uh, first of all, uh, I, we, we continue to have a sponsor. If you work as a software engineer, particularly, you might be interested in continuous integration tools to help yourself and to help your company. ActiveState has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adopt for more than 20 years. They are currently looking to improve the state of the world with continuous integration and continuous deployment with their product line. And they have a survey that uh, you can take that I will link at localmaxradio.com slash 122. Thrilled to have Active State as a sponsor to the Local Maximum. All right. So there are a lot of things that I can say that this show uh, not this episode, what the local maximum is about. You know, I love to take concepts from probability, from engineering, and apply them to the news. But uh, I just can't say that that's what you're going to get today. There's just too much going on, and it's too heavy to introduce a new concept right now. Maybe we'll go back to it next week. Uh, there are also a lot of opinion makers out there. You may have noticed. <laughs> you may have noticed that there's no shortage of opinion makers. If you don't get the opinion you want, you can go shopping for a uh, for a new one. Everybody is a pundit these days, and so uh, today I don't want to go too hard on telling you what to think. I just, or I don't want to tell you what to think at all. I just want to tell you a little bit of what what I think and more of like what I've been through, kind of uh, the first person uh, account of you know, what's been going on. This is really for people in the future, or even maybe myself in the future, to try to piece together what it was like to go through this time in history, perhaps 10 years from now or so. So I pledge to refocus on good news in the coming weeks. We don't have a lot of good news right now. Maybe we will. Um, and also, I want to address the audience outside the United States. You know, so far, no one has complained about addressing U.S. issues. Our media is telling us that you guys are are thrilled to hear about stuff that's going on in the United States. But if that's, if that's, uh, if that's incorrect, uh, if that was fake news, please let me know. Localmaxradio at gmail.com. Also like getting a lot of, uh, a, a lot of comments from outside the United States. I always find it very interesting. Um, so, all right, let me just go through my list of bullet points here and maybe comment on each one. And oh, by the way, later in the show, I'm going to play my interview with my good friend Ben Jibo, who has been working at a hospital for the last three months. And he's going to talk about what he's been through with, uh, with coronavirus uh, and, and the whole pandemic situation and all that. So yeah, starting three months ago, uh, March, we were all locked down. Uh, that meant a variety of things. For me, it meant I went into the Foursquare office on March 6th. No one was there to find out that... Uh, Someone had had contracted coronavirus, and we all had to not come into work for 
a few weeks. And then I was locked down for two weeks. Basically, they said, don't come out of your homes. And I felt like it was just me being punished sort of a thing because I, you know, none of my friends and family had to do it. They were all out, you know, pretending like nothing, nothing was happening. Um, then, you know, fortunately, I think those next two weeks were when everyone got sick. So, you know, the, the good news of that, I didn't get sick. When coronavirus cases got really bad, I checked the cases every day. I really tried to stay in, uh, you know, uh, late March, early April. And then as the cases started going down, I started to take a little more risk because you have to get out and you have to, um, you know, just to get exercise, have to go for walks and, uh, and things like that. It, it was never like illegal here to go out and take walk. Well, <laughs> not until recently, but for, uh, for the, uh, pandemic lockdowns, it was never bad to go out and take walks. It was always okay to go, uh, to the grocery store. But for, you know, the first few, the first few weeks, we didn't know how risky it was. And it was very, you know, you'd go to the grocery store and there'd be hordes and hordes of people there and you'd be like, I don't want to go. And then maybe, and you wouldn't know, you know, you'd order food, but you'd worry, you know, could, could all this stuff be infected? Is every napkin, is, is coronavirus hiding in every napkin? So, uh, you know, now I think we know that, uh, that that's not the case. And, uh, particularly since the case rate has gone down, um, you know, I'm not paranoid about packages anymore, but it's not hard to see how this is driving everybody crazy. Seems like politicians didn't move fast enough uh, to warn people about the danger. And then once they decided to go all in, once they locked down, which again meant all of our offices are closed and business are closed, then they never reassessed their position or used new information to determine, you know, hey, we're going to lock everything down right now because it's risky and we don't know what is what. We don't know where the risks are. But then they should have reassessed and over the next few weeks say, okay, this activity is low risk. You can do it. That activity is low risk. You can do it. But instead, they went for this bizarre, I don't want to say bizarre, just it's this phased reopening plan that seems to go on and on and doesn't necessarily have any, um, have, have any, uh, empirical data behind it. It's just, this is what we decide. Uh, to do, and we expect all of our citizens to follow it. And uh, they have probably, they have, uh, in my opinion, almost certainly done more harm than good. Um, and so, as we reopen, that's this is uh, now, I mean, this is New York, the rest of the country's kind of reopened, but now we're in a completely different news cycle. So, as as we're reopening, as you know, if you don't know this, I, I don't know what you've been consuming, but as we're reopening, a police officer murders a man in Minneapolis in broad daylight who posed no threat and who was in his custody. We don't know the motive as of yet, but it certainly is, I guess you could say shocking, but not surprising. And that's led to widespread protests and marches. Uh, these protests and marches have grown. There's been no concern about spread. Well, there has been some concern about spread of the virus through the protests and marches, but it doesn't seem like it concerns the people involved. Uh, and yet we are still under uh, lockdown from the virus in, in New York. Uh, and, and now today we are in phase one reopening. So whatever, phase one reopening, that doesn't mean too much to me. Uh, phase two is is more. See, I uh, I don't like how I have to learn all the phases. All right. So hopefully change in policing uh, in this country is coming and around the world is coming, by the way. Uh, the United States is not the only country that has problems with policing, but uh, 
what that means, what police reform means or police, I don't know. Can we, can we live in a world without police? Well, I, I don't think we live in a world without police, but, um, what that means I'll leave to another, another time, another discussion. Um, so then on top of this, there came all of this looting and rioting in New York City. It was clearly organized. It was last week. I'm trying to remember what day it was, Sunday or Monday, maybe Saturday. Uh, not this weekend, but the, the, the weekend before. Uh, so it was organized. You know, I heard they had several vans lined up on every street, you know, uh, case the place out, communicating with each other, wait until the key people go home. It appears to be op- opportunistic, uh, maybe not not related to the protests at all. Maybe that connection was, uh, uh, you know, any connection there was, well, certainly some of the graffiti was related to the protests, but maybe not the the looting and, and destruction that we saw. But we, we really don't know who did it. Seems like it's local gangs and the primary motive seems to be to, to, to grab stuff, to grab stuff of value. It seems to be a, just a, a, a motive to, uh, to burglarize and, uh, and rob and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and get as much as you can. Um, so we had uh, a curfew on top of the lockdown to stop the looting and rioting, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because now you have less eyes on the street. Now you have more potential lawbreakers because the, the, the protesters, the marchers are breaking curfew. Um, fortunately, the curfew was lifted yesterday and phase one reopening begins today. In terms of what was going on with the, pol- well, look, I mean, for, from my view, obviously, uh, the city did nothing for, for us on the, that one day that was really bad. Uh, that, that the next morning, I remember Governor Cuomo got on and said, oh, look, interesting fact. I can, uh, the governor can remove the mayor, but oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And then, uh, the next few days got better. So could be a coincidence, but uh, I found that interesting. Uh, Mayor de Blasio, no one likes him anymore. Uh, there's, I, 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 I really, really had a disliking to that guy. But now that everyone dislikes him, I feel like it's not even uh, worth piling on. Um, but um, look, we've had a lockdown for three months, uh, mostly shut in our apartments. We can go out, but, you know, not much to do. Uh, then on top of that, a curfew, which means, you know, we, you literally can't leave your tiny apartment from 8 PM onward. So it's not been easy for a lot of people to live under these circumstances, not to mention, you know, when downstairs, all of the, the, the barricades and the, 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 well, really the boarding up of places are happening, graffiti everywhere. I was indoors in an indoor mall the other day. In Manhattan, and I saw places were boarded up indoors. Uh, I actually think that 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 place wasn't in, in danger at all. But I, I think, uh, from what I heard, is just you know insurance companies are requiring it. But it's um, it's uh, it's insane. It looks insane. Um, Manhattan is really bad. I thought Brooklyn, you know, got the worst of it. I went outside in Brooklyn. I was like, okay, you know, they clean stuff up. We can, you know, there was there's a lot of marchers, but in terms of like looters and 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 and, you know, people destroying stuff. There was a little bit of it one night, but it got cleaned up pretty quickly and it didn't look that bad. Places weren't boarded up and all that. Uh, I drove through Manhattan on Friday and it looked really bad. It looked 10 times worse than Brooklyn, uh, especially, you know, East Village, uh, Lower East Side, Soho, 
uh, 14th Street. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, meanwhile, so we're inside. What are we going to do? Social media is filled with slogans, false memes, propaganda, people just following others, piling on without thinking first, uh, f- without thinking for themselves, really. Provocative videos are posted where what I'm told I'm seeing might not be what I'm actually seeing. Uh, people are explaining the right way to think to other people on each issue. Oh, no, this is the right way to think. This is the wrong way to think. You just aren't educated. You don't understand. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and no one's having a discussion. Even to suggest that any of the bad news that came out this week has any connection whatsoever to three months of lockdown brands you a heretic, I found out. Um, I'm not interested in debating it because to me there's obviously a connection and to deny it is, is gaslighting. I think people say, think, okay, this has to be the narrative and any other issues uh, confuse it and so have to be like shut down. But that's, that's not the way the world is. So I just think this is a really, really bad way to consume news. Our tech companies have failed us. Our media has failed us. Right, left, doesn't matter. Uh, there are a lot of tweets and posts that sound very nice and convincing at first, uh, but, you know, they, they fall apart under careful scrutiny. So, you know, you just have to be careful. This is what life is like now. Many of the people in New York seem to be excusing and supporting the rioting and the looting. Uh, I, you know, I, I think they, th- I think it's because some people are, you know, whenever people bring up, you know, Black Lives Matter, reform the police, et cetera, et cetera. People bring up, well, what about the rioting and the looting? And then so people are mad that other people are using that, you know, as a, a whataboutism to detract from the cause. But the problem is you shouldn't be excusing rioting and, and looting uh, just because uh, some people use it as a, as a retort unfairly. Honestly, I, I don't think I want to live here anymore. It kind of makes me feel like I don't want to live in New York City anymore. Like I'm done if that's how people think. Uh, you know, if there was just, you know, lots of destruction of property and crime went up and uh, for a few days and and broken windows and all that, uh, that'd be fine, actually. I think I'd, I'd stay under that uh, because, you know, I understand that uh, these things do happen. Uh, people either reach a boiling point or there's organized crime or, you know, sometimes cities go through uh, uh, bad weeks and uh, and maybe we recover. But with the majority kind of cheering it on and excusing it and downplaying it, that, that bothers me. That sounds like a community that I shouldn't live in. Uh, so it kind of sends the message that if you're a victim of a crime, then we'll only help you if you're popular or if it doesn't like detract from, you know, the, what, what we're trying to do right now or if the timing is right in the so-called national moment. What kind of social contract is that? Sounds like a scam contract to me. Well, I don't know. Maybe we'll turn it around when more people speak up. But th- this is not fun right now. I want—I like to have fun on this show, and I'm not—and I'm not able to do it right now. But uh, I, again, I'll pledge in a couple weeks to try to do that. All right, let's 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 go to the sponsor because the sponsor is always a lot more fun. Uh, given given all this, given given everything that that I just said to you, I just want to remind you that life does go on, and we're all going to have to get back to work at some point. If you work in software, the fun doesn't stop, so, does it? If you're like me, you're constantly thwarted and mystified by your build tools and continuous integration tools at work as a software engineer or architect. And there are some of you out there, some group of special people who are really great, really interested in improving the internal tools at your company. We need you people. So I just want to tell you about 
Active State today. Active State has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adapt for 20 years, to adopt for 20 years. Active State helps enterprises scale securely with open source languages and gives developers the kind of tools they love to use. More than 2 million developers and 97% of Fortune 100 enterprises use Active State to support mission-critical systems and speed up software development while enhancing oversight and increasing quality. They are inviting all of us to do a survey, a survey which I have done, and it's to understand the state of integration and development tools at your company. So definitely check that out. At uh, Right now it's uh, localmaxradio.com slash 122 and check out their other products as well. Maybe your company is due for a change in the way they do uh, uh, continuous integration, or if you just want to learn more about these tools because it's something every software shop needs today. Again, you could go to localmaxradio.com slash 122, or you could go directly at activestate.com slash ci-cd-survey, but just go to localmaxradio.com slash 122. That way they know that, uh, that it's coming from me. All right, so... Now I just want to share with you a brief conversation. This isn't a full interview, but it's a brief conversation that I had with a a friend of mine, Ben Jibo. He's always been a strong moral supporter of my show uh, and uh, and everything I do. And uh, he's had quite three months working at a hospital. He, I I told you this was not going to be the most up show. I wish it is. Uh, I'm getting through it though. You know, I asked him, you know, so what did you do yesterday? He was like, oh, transporting dead bodies. And I'd almost laugh. I was like, ha ha ha, good one. And then he'd say, no, uh, that's actually what I was doing. So I, the pandemic, uh, to me, it wasn't real in terms of, it was real in terms of all of the restrictions on my life and on the city, but it wasn't real in terms of seeing people actually get sick and dying. And so uh, for Ben, it, it was real. And so I wanted to talk to him and, uh, and get a sense of what that was like. And so he uh, was kind enough to give us some of his time during the day at the hospital. That's why you're going to hear the sounds in the background to tell us about this whole thing. Ben Jibo, you've reached the local maximum. Thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Hey, it's an honor to be here. Glad to uh, connect with you. Today, I just want to get uh, your experience with working in a hospital through, you know, what we've just been through with this pandemic and your perspective, if you want to, sh- to the extent that you want to share that with us. So uh, first of all, just tell us, you know, what is your role at, uh, at the hospital? What's, what do you do? Right. So I work in one of the New York City big public hospitals and I'm an administrator. So I help out diverse services. So if they're missing a supply, I have to go find it. Uh, If a patient family comes and they're upset, I talk to them. If there's an issue, you know, staff-wise, HR-wise, I'm called to consult with that. So it's kind of like overseeing and supporting hospital administrative functions after hours, because during the nighttime, all of the staff go home and it's really doctors, nurses, a few cops, and a few administrators to try to help make sure that things flow, that the patient gets what they need. So that's kind of what I've been doing through the pandemic and now the protests. Uh, feel very honored to be able to serve. So 
Um, I, I don't want to ask for you for the highlights because that sounds like something good happened. <laughs> but <laughs> what, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to ask. Like, can, can tell me a little bit about how, how would you describe your experiences over the last few months? You know, it's been very difficult with, uh, it's not a lot of people dying, but it's a few people that are all dying at once. So it's like this cluster death yeah. that's been happening where, you know, people, a lot of married couples, been married for 50 years, some of them can't visit each other, parents can't see, you know, their kids, uh, unless it's, a, you know, the very end. And so it's been a very difficult uh, aspect of the pandemic is that there's a high, high contagion risk that requires a quarantine for hospital patients. So I think that in every, you know, hospital in probably the United States, it's the same thing. There's a lot of unfamiliarity being totally isolated in a medical setting. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, I haven't said this on the show, but I feel like a lot of the things we've had to do through this pandemic have been dehumanizing in, in a lot of ways, just like separating and, you know, not being able to go about normal life. And it's almost, you're almost made to feel if you say that, like you're not willing to do your part to fight the virus. And, you know, I, I am, but it's just, uh, it's still dehumanizing. Right. It's bigger than we are. You know, we've been used to kind of having control over what we want to do, where we want to go. And prohibitions were really associated with, you know, punishment or, you know, places where there's not a lot of personal in individual freedom. But with the healthcare concern, it's been so inspiring to watch how people, even if they've never, you know, knew anybody in a social circle, they got corona or passed, that they actually care. Like I've seen like amazing uh, quarantine practices from people because they realize you don't know you know, I know who I see, but I don't know who you see. And maybe you'll bring something home to a grandmother or a beloved, you know, uncle or a neighbor, and it's, it, you know, it can endanger them. So I think watching that people can intellectually make a decision to be compliant with the quarantine in spite of what makes us feel personally, like we're depriving ourselves and we're not allowed and it shouldn't be and we can't do it. You know, it's it's more like a great civic mobilization. Yeah. Uh, so I I am I'm looking forward to uh, things opening back up. I know they're starting to out there in Connecticut, uh, and um, I here in New York City, it's um, it's it's it is a long road. But how are things looking from your perspective at at the hospital? Are are you know? It, it sounds like things are getting a lot better now. Um, are you seeing that? Yeah, I think uh, because people have been treating a lot of patients with acute problems, they we feel it seems like the clinicians have a better handle on it and that the unknowns are not unknowns anymore. And that we kind of know when people are recovering or when they're not, they need attention, or when maybe they're going to demise. So I think that that part of the epidemic uh, is instructive that whenever there's an epidemic, like what actually is happening in the disease process and the clinical uh, skills needed to alleviate the progression of the disease or the infection 
and then also what's needed to maintain life. So, you know, the death rate has gone rapidly down. We're still on standby, like all the hospitals are, because with the protests, we don't know if there'll be a spike in infections of the very vulnerable people at home when the protesters return home. You know, so it's like, yeah. we're, we're going to wait and see, but I feel like we're over the hump and that the quarantine did work from my perspective. I'm, you know, uh, just watching how people are seemingly less sick, seemingly, you know, less dire circumstances health-wise. Um, how has the... How has the hospital's approach or your approach to this changed over the course of the last three months? Is there something that you guys learned about this virus or about treating epidemics like this in general? Because they're, they're not very common that you see something like this that you didn't know three months ago. That's right. I mean, one thing that shocked me was that, you know, you think you know you have the right amount of medical supply. And then you realize, well, I need more kind of IV tubing for this particular treatment, or I need, you know, certain kinds of pumps for feeding, which are normally not in high demand. And all of a sudden it's like, you can't, you know, we need a cooling blanket. So there's a lot of kind of very specific COVID-19 equipment and supplies that came in high demand nationally. And we just got the feeling that what do we do if there's a national outage? So there was a fear factor. Uh, one thing I can say is that the infrastructure of the hospitals, I believe, are robust. And it's been very beautiful to see that people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Emergency rooms are helping in an emergency. You know, that's, ICU. That's the, good to hear because I remember at the beginning of this, a lot of people were like, we're not prepared. Everything's going to fall apart. Uh, yeah. The, the fear of the unknown. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on and sharing this today. Uh, uh, do you have any last thoughts on this? Please, people, you know, remain just vigilant around whatever guidance comes out, even if it seems to change every day. Wear this kind of mask. Don't wear that kind of mask. Do this, do that. Be open to the fact that we're just trying to find the best way to do it, and it may not be one way you know, that we might have to change our approach. And I think that's been frustrating for the public and for practitioners that we, you know, as you understand something more then you have to inform others what you know. And that, you know, we have this idea that there's one way to do it. Well, no, you know, we're learning as we go along. And so, you know, I'm praying for the health and recovery of all people, uh, regardless of their health status. I hope that it be, they can remain healthy and, also in this time of protest, you know, observing the protection of law enforcement and also the public, that it's a dialogue and a contract that we can maintain because uh, they're both vital, vital institutions. You know, I pray for the wellness and morale of yeah. law enforcement because it, it's not easy. You know, we see a lot of times people are not able to behave, you know, for whatever reason. And they sometimes break laws and you have to intervene. And it's just not a simple equation. So, yeah, people are on edge. Uh, hey, my friend, will be well. And uh, we'll also pray for the people of color that have a very high incidence. Okay. Take care, my friend. Thanks, Ben. Take care. All right. So, I did a little Twitter poll 
uh, the other day because I was getting sick and tired of scrolling through my social media feeds. I feel like a couple years ago, I got rid of cable and that meant no more CNN, no more MSNBC, no more Fox News, no more all that crap, just out the garbage. But the problem is, what did it get replaced with? It got replaced with reading things on Twitter, reading things on Facebook, and it's just absolutely uh, almost worse. I don't even know what's worse at this point. Um, it's, 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 it's not healthy. I don't know if any of you are, are facing the same thing. But I noticed personally that when I scrolled Swarm, which is the app that we put out at Foursquare, that always made me happy because it either showed people having a good time and show, it, it told me like, you know, how are my, how are all my friends doing? Are they, um, are they, getting out of the city? Are they, are they getting their things done? Are they, uh, you know, are they doing good things? And there's no, you never get like yelled at or jeered at or, you know, um, nobody gets annoyed when you post something on Swarm. So it's a lot easier to, it's a lot easier to use these days. So I, I expected it to win. It, it didn't, but I, I said, which of the following social feeds put you in the best moods after scrolling them? Now, Swarm did come in second, 30% of the vote, 29.4% of the vote. I think it would have won if everyone used Swarm. I just think a lot of people uh, don't use it. The, the one that came up on top actually was Instagram. So maybe for similar reasons, people like scrolling Instagram puts them in a good mood. I... I don't agree with the majority or the plurality here. It's still 44%. I don't know if I agree with the plurality because Instagram, I just see a lot of things that are obviously just like fake or, or set up, which is not necessarily bad. But um, And then now these days, I'm just seeing a lot of pictures that are just text and it's degrading back to Twitter almost, which uh, which is kind of uh, kind of frustrating. Twitter came in third with uh, 23.5% of the vote and Facebook comes in dead last with one vote out of, out of, uh, out of uh, 34, a very small poll, <laughs> a very unscientific study. But uh, I, I don't know who that one person is. Maybe they were meant to click swarm and they missed and they clicked Facebook, but wow, not a single person thinks that uh, Facebook uh, puts them in the best mood as compared to the other ones. So Facebook You've got a problem here. Facebook's got a lot of problems. And uh, don't worry, we're not going to stop talking about it uh, as more episodes come about. All right. So we're going to get back to looking at data science and math and tech products soon. I'm trying to line up guests. It's been harder for guests to come by in the last few weeks and harder to set it up. But I have a few guests that are kind of in the pipeline. And so they'll be ready to go as soon as possible. And I promise we're going to have some more uplifting stuff. So keep on subscribing to The Local Maximum. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.